0: You said the word churn 100,000 times and recorded it.
1: Yes, it took nine hours, three minutes, and 26 seconds. Why would you do that? Welcome to Tradeoffs, where Neeras Heaton Shaw and Wells Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product-first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about saying churn a lot. So first, I said a 100,000 times. It took nine hours, three minutes, and some change. We definitely tried to look into how to fake it, it was so much easier just to do it, so we, I just did it one day. Strategic versus tactical churn. Product God saying something along the lines of, well, if the product was valuable enough, no one would ever leave, right? And the problem is, is it's not wrong, it's just, it's profoundly incomplete. And much more. What's up, man? Hi, you living?
0: Hey, hey, I saw a video the other day and you were on it.
1: Yeah? <laughs> what video was that
0: you said the same word a hundred thousand times and, and you had like a ticker and like i could see you walking around and, and you know i could see your rear because you walked around i could see that and then you sat back down but like you said a word a hundred thousand times so let's just let's just make the whole episode today about that let's word talk about that you want to say it another ten thousand times right now
1: all the elements so first, yeah, a hundred thousand times. So I said the word churn a hundred thousand times for a marketing stunt. I think that's the right way to call it. So first I said a hundred thousand times. It took nine hours, three minutes and some change. We definitely tried to look into how to fake it. It was so much easier just to do it. So we, I just did it one day. So you probably can't really see, but my space bar does have like a lot of wear. You see that on the bottom? And that's from pressing the space bar wow. so many times. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But long story short, said it 100,000 times. What we did, for those of you who didn't see it, um, and we put some like shorter cuts just because we didn't expect a lot of people to watch the nine-hour video, although I ha- I'll have a comment on that in a second. We ended up putting some like content in the beginning and the end, so meaning like, I had some slides that would show up while I was saying churn, and it was like... Here's some facts about churn, some benchmarks, and then ultimately why we did this. And there's two reasons why we did this. In the video, I explain we did this because, you know, we collected or we made this much revenue for our customers within this time period. The rest of the week, we'll make this much. You know, just kind of like an ad for for our retained product, which uh, automates churn reduction. But the bigger reason we did this is that for those who know our marketing and know our content, we are really, really good at like data content, really, really good at like I like to call it like middle or bottom of the top of the funnel content, meaning like if you're interested in pricing, you'll go find our stuff. If you're interested in retention, you'll go find our stuff. SaaS metrics, you go find our stuff. But we're really bad at like awareness content. And I think we like always poo-pooed it. We were always like, oh, that's dumb. Oh, that doesn't make sense oh, that's terrible. And so about a year ago, we basically said like, oh, we need to do one to two of these things per quarter that are just pure awareness. We will measure lead flow and such as best we can, but that is not the measure of success. The measure of success is just pure views, pure impressions. And hopefully those impressions will kind of house it so those impressions are within our vertical. And so this was one of them. This was the thing. And the way this came about was we asked, I asked the question, what if Mr. Beast, popular YouTuber, for those who don't know, what if he ran marketing at a SaaS company? And Mr. Beast, for those who don't know, he does a lot of like his first video that he went viral. He counted to a hundred thousand in one take. So just counted to a hundred thousand. And then he does a lot of other like interesting stuff. And so, yeah, that's the setup, man. Happy to go deeper on it, but that's the setup. That's really cool. I
0: love how you shared how you got the idea too, because I think role models are really important. And if that was your role model, it makes perfect sense. I mean, this is. This is the guy that has what that hamburger app, right? And the hamburgers and fries and stuff will get delivered all over the country and stuff like that. It's a really cool exercise. I'm wondering why you chose churn as a word. And I'm also wondering what your opinion is about churn and subscription businesses. I know it's high level, but I want like, and and I'll I'll poke you around that because like, there's a lot of generic stuff that's out there. And I know you have more thoughts than anybody on this topic now that you've said it. A hundred thousand times and probably thought through, thought about it the whole time. You're like, why am I doing this?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny too. Like we didn't have a plan for the bathroom. We didn't have a plan for like any of these like things. And I have like a a non-battery camera. So it's just always on. So it's like, we were really nervous. So I, I didn't eat or drink anything after 6 p.m. the day before. And then we tried to start as early as possible so that we could just, you know, like, so I didn't drink anything until I think around 50,000 churns is when I like had a bunch of water and stuff because, you know, I was obviously a little dehydrated. So the word churn, we actually debated this a little bit because the word retention is probably better for our brand and what we do, but- the word retention is a little long to say a hundred thousand times, just because of the number of syllables. And so, the reason we chose churn is because our brand is very associated with pricing, because that's the the product that we've had around the longest. And so, what's like a pithy, quick thing? People talk a lot more about churn than they do like retention. Although that's kind of changing with like net dollar retention, these types of things. But basically, it's like it's also you know just from a, a syllabic resonance perspective, just like it gets in your head. Like, so if you watch even like the two minute version of the the ad or the uh, 10 minute version on LinkedIn, basically just gets in your head, you know, just in terms of like what's going on. So yeah, long story short, that was just, that was just the game of why churn. Now, how do we think about churn? I think where a lot of people go wrong with thinking there's a lot of places, but the first is I'm so sick and tired of product gods. I like to call them product gods. And I say that facetiously product gods saying something along the lines of, well, if the product was valuable enough, no one would ever leave, right? And the problem is, is it's not wrong. It's just, it's profoundly incomplete. So like people say that to sound smart because it's not wrong and it sounds kind of profound, but it's completely, it's very incomplete because one, your retention has much more to do with just the people leaving your product. But two, when we look at the data, there is a portion of your churn, and it could be up to about 40, rarely over 50%, but up to about 40, 50% that is purely mechanical problems with the experience with your product, that basically 40% of your churn is, is not because of value. And it can be optimized very mechanically. So we break out churn into their strategic churn, and then there's like tactical or mechanical churn. And strategic churn is death by a thousand paper cuts. And this is where we all like to talk about it. We like to have all kinds of fun talks at events and thought leadership and stuff of like onboarding and this feature and how to do customer research and all these death by a thousand paper cuts that a great product team needs to fight day in and day out to figure out to get to product market fit and beyond. The issue is, is that because we focus so much on that, this other 40%, which is made up of credit card failures, term optimization, reactivation, salvage offers, these very mechanical things that you can implement, get ignored. And people think, oh, any churn tool is basically going to be a customer success tool for upsells and expansion revenue, when in reality, there's all these things that can be optimized, assuming your product isn't terrible. If your product's terrible, no amount of churn reduction is going to help because your product's just bad. You haven't gotten the value. But if your post-product market fit, 40% of your churn right now can be solved and you're not doing it because you're ignoring everything except the thousand paper cuts that are going to take a great product team and a lot of time to fit. And so very strategically, that's what I think is wrong with how people look at it. And then the other thing, just very quickly, I also think like this is very tactical. People don't break their retention out. Like the first thing I ask people to do, even really large companies, you'd be shocked active cancellations expansion revenue delinquent churn payment failures because when you break it out sometimes your active cancellations your like revenue churn rate is actually pretty good right but your expansions are anemic typically I find most people have like zero expansion revenue if they any or a little bit more, like five, maybe 10% of their monthly revenue, uh, the new revenue is coming from expansion. Best subscription companies in the world, not just SaaS, over 20% is coming from their existing customer base. So breaking those things out is a really good first step because all of a sudden you'll start to see in a very, you know, stating the obvious, like, oh, this is like a place to optimize and this other place is, is a little bit easier. So Yeah, we can go much deeper on that. But I think the first one is the bigger point that, you know, I would argue the market needs to be educated on.
0: I love what you're saying. I think that things like revenue, and this this includes churn, are lagging indicators. And there's so much emphasis on these lagging indicators and people trying to change things and see how the lagging indicator moves. Instead, usage, whatever that means for your product, is actually the key indicator for, and the leading indicator for things like churn. And, and, and then the way you describe it is like, yeah, the devil's in the details of the product. And how does the product, for example, reinforce the value that the product delivers to the customer consistently? There's not enough content out there about this concept. And there's a lot of terminology about how do you do that, that is kind of underground, I'm going to call it right now. Even some of those words that I've heard from people who are very good at kind of churn and high churn environments or potentially high churn environments, they have specific language around it. And they even think about it in a way where it's like, how do you consistently communicate the ROI of this product to the customer all the time? And like, for example, I think some parts of your business are really brilliant because you're just giving them free money. And if you frame it like that, like this is money you wouldn't have had without using us. And we're only going to take a percentage of that instead of taking, you know, all of it or charging you a SaaS fee, a subscription fee or whatever. I think that's a really powerful concept and really aligns with people's mindset about products and, and and how they think about ROI. Like your product can have a direct like return on investment because there is no return on investment, if that makes sense, right? The only return on investment can be calculated when you think about what would it take for me to do this without them. And that that's a really good spot to be in. Most products don't have that leverage like you do, where you're essentially, ironically, you're reducing churn for companies almost magically, I would say. Uh, there's many companies that I've recommended your product to on that churn side, retained side, and they're all coming back and just like, oh, look at the email I just got and how much money I, they just saved me, right? Or not saved me, made me, right? And they only take a cut of that. That's amazing. I think there's, there's a lot of alignment there with your customer and what their needs are and stuff like that. In products where the ROI is not as clear. And I'll give one example of a product that really blows my mind of how tight the company has made this, but uh, the company's Drift, and they're really a tool for sales and marketing. And you know, there's obviously Intercom, that's a tool for customer communication. There's lots of differences in the product and everything, but the ultimate difference is one company is focused on customer communication and much many, much more support, customer support and success use cases, which is where I think Intercom has landed for the most part in terms of where their biggest market is an opportunity, which is more of like a Zendesk competitor. I know that sounds weird, but like, that's kind of, if you look at their, like where the attention is in that business, it's around that. And then they have a lot of other things too. Now, then I look at drift and I'm like, they have figured out that sales and marketing need to work better together. Marketing drives traffic sales isn't responsible for converting it, but they're responsible for turning it into something meaningful. You know, once it falls in their laps and the alignment, in the middle is actually drift because drift is able to help marketers harvest more of the traffic and turn them into dollars. And so drift has a dashboard. It's much more like a ROI dashboard that connects to Salesforce and basically is able to tell you how much of the revenue that you're making is attributable to drift and your usage of drift. And I think that's amazing. That's like, it takes a lot of effort for a company to figure that out, whatever that version is for their business and their market right? Even, even even Intercom, if you look at their reports area and you look at the customer support or success reports that they've built out, they understand this too, because all of those reports are oriented around what is the value of this product for you? And, and how do you explain that to your manager? How do you explain that to the C-level executive? How do you even get some of that information into board decks, right? So that the investors and the CEO and the board is looking at these numbers as well. And there's visibility there. So, you know, I love this idea of just reducing churn being all about always consistently repeating the value of your product to your customers. That's my kind of long-winded way
1: of saying that. I think the problem is, and I talk a lot about this with like retention oriented well, really pricing conversations too. Is like, this is where that value metric, and I talk about this a lot, like the value metric comes into play of like, we are in a very unique position and we did this very consciously to price based on performance. And not everyone is always in that position. Like you typically have to be very close to a B2B environment to costs or revenue in some way, right? If you can't, it's like 10% of companies can do that. Um, that's kind of like a estimate number, not, a, not an actual data number. And so what I think then what you have to do is you have to take a step back and have a proxy. And this this is the active cancellation thing. Like there's a reason like retain, we have like 0.3% monthly revenue churn, something crazy, and like our net revenue retention is, you know, over a hundred percent, is because basically what ends up happening is like we're so aligned that when they're looking, what should I do? What should I do? If I want to cancel something. Like during COVID, like we were kind of worried because no one knew what the hell was going on in the beginning of it, but like we got many messages where we're like, hey, I went through my spreadsheet of things that I should cut because everyone was preemptively cutting. And like, you guys only cost something if you make me money. So it doesn't make any sense to cut you. And we we're like, cool. So like we lose customers because they want to try out a competitor, but then we win a lot of them back and like all that kind of stuff, which is fine. But I think it's just one of those things where aligning with that customer, not to sound trite, is so, so important. And what I actually think drift messes up, and I would argue Intercom a little bit as well, is they're a revenue product that doesn't have revenue in it that bothers me. I don't know. Like it bothers me. And I think that they haven't put it in there. And it's one of those things where we're using it we're like, if they just tied it back, right. Um, And we, we have a drift integration (laughs) that, that can help with that. That's why we built it strictly to get this revenue data in just to make sure that there's like, you know, attribution on some level to see like, you know, some justification of like what we're doing inside drift. Right. And so My kind of point there is more tie things back to that value as much as humanly possible. But the bigger point too is like, this is all that strategic conversation, right? And this is the conversation everyone has, right? There's many articles that that I've written, you've written, other people have written on like this exact topic, right? Figuring out value, jobs to be done, an entire framework that like talks about this, right? Customer development, this is the entire point of customer development. This is the entire point of product, right? And I think that like that is hard, one, just to do in general, Even if you're good, it's still hard and not guaranteed. But I also think that like if you get to product market fit or close to it, beyond it obviously, you're still going to have to fight that value battle. And I think that what a lot of people then do is they go, this is the number one thing I have to figure out, which is great. But the problem is, is it's like, this is a Sisyphean task. You're just gonna be doing this for the entire company right? However long the product or the company sticks around, someone, hopefully the same person, but very unlikely is going to be doing this. And so what happens is you put this in a priority bucket when you have this 40% leakage that I'm talking about, where it's like that 40% tactical churn, take care of that because it's mostly purely mechanical as you're fighting that Sisyphean task. And so there's some things that make that Sisyphean task easier, like value metrics and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just something to think about.
0: I think that's a key thing this is a task that the company's going to have to continuously do and figure out how to get great at. And unfortunately, there's a number of those inside of companies. It's not just one or two, right? And that's, I think where a lot of the trouble comes in for so many people, which is like, well, you know, how many of these things can I take on? How many can I do? And what ends up happening, and I would be the first to admit is I think churn is one of the most important ones to figure out. And again, it's a lagging indicator, so you're in kind of this position where you have to figure out how do you optimize this lagging indicator on a continual basis? And how do you find all the leading indicators for whatever your product is without driving yourself crazy?
1: No, I think it's hard. Are you asking me No, that? I'm just
0: saying as a comment, right? Like there's no question in there. I think, I think this is just one of those topics where like the product does matter, but it isn't like, oh yeah, make a great product. It's all good. It's like, no, there's a lot of nuances to making sure people understand what value you're delivering. That's a key piece.
1: That's where the market evolves as well. So it's it's just a it's a constant like I've talked to enough product people and I've formed like a little bit of a thesis and a little bit of like a archetype. And it's like I think that there's a lot of very talented product people who ironically get very like tunnel vision on some of this stuff. And it's like it's hard to shake things up. And so we've actually found a lot of success not only going through product people who normally own churn. But going through like finance and ops people, because finance and ops, they at least see like some of the things we're talking about, like, oh, annual plans have better LTV. Great. Credit cards, let's solve that, right? And so I think it's just one of those things where there's there's a bit of an awakening around like one, net dollar retention or net revenue retention is now like very in vogue and it's in vogue in a hot market. You normally don't see that. Like at least the couple cycles that I've seen since we founded ProfitWell Net revenue retention only got hot when there was like, oh my God, is the market going to pop? Is the public going to pop? Oh my God, unit economics are important. Now it's a hot market and it's important. We haven't seen that yet, which is really interesting. But I think it's 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 in vogue because the thesis that you and I have been talking about for a decade about like, hey, acquisition is really important. You got to spend half, if not more of your budget on it. But there's other stuff matters too. And this is why we formed an entire company <laughs> around pricing and retention like, it's kind of cool to see, like, you know, I took a brash of crap for years and now, and now it's like, oh, now you want the goods. Right. And so I think that's like the really interesting thing is like this stuff's being taken seriously in a hot market, which is a good indicator that like, oh, growth, growth has to come from these different constituencies, essentially.
0: hundred percent. It has to come from somewhere, right? Any tips on churn that you would tell anyone that's listening to us about this stuff? That's what I'm curious about from you.
1: Yeah, so again, assuming like you're like you have your kind of product market fit into a steady state. I think pre-product market fit, everything I'm about to say, don't worry about it. You will see the impact, but it's not going to solve the problem. It's going to maybe band-aid the problem a little bit, which, you know, not to chill, but like yes, if you turn on retain, we do it all for you, so it's easy enough to turn on, but the basic idea is like you got to get your product in good place for all the strategic stuff. But on the tactical retention side, this is where I think it gets more interesting. So one, if you're listening to this, you've probably heard me say before, if you're a credit card based business, meaning that's how you accept payment mostly besides invoices, 20 to 40% of your cancellations are going to be from credit card failures. It's just credit cards are a mechanical device subject to failure. A lot of the failure reasons, a lot of people are like, yeah, but like, they retry it, right? it's like, yes, you can get people, you can get retried credit cards, but there's a really large portion, about 60, 70% of failures require you to go get that person to refill out their credit card information. It's, it's just unfortunately something that's a fact of life. A lot of things to do with this. So we have a product that does this and so we've studied this a lot. So here are some like quick tips. One, don't send emails before the point of cancellation. So, hey, your card's about to expire. Hey, your card's about to, you know, expire. We need updated payment information. Don't send emails. It increases active cancellations by about ten to twenty percent, because normally you kind of annoy them. Essentially, in addition to that, if you, at the point of failure, um, or basically what ends up happening is, is Amex and some of the other cards, even if the card is about to expire, they will continue to charge that customer. And normally, this kind of depends on not quite their credit rating, but like an equivalent kind of calculation. That's kind of like, Oh, this is a business expense. This is probably something that they want to keep going. They just haven't updated the card yet. If you're selling to more of like an underbanked community, um, it's a little bit different after the point of failure. Do not use markety. Well, like, you know, designed emails, they do not work as well. Um, Actually they work about 50% worse than plain text emails So that's something to kind of keep in mind. In-app notifications work really well. SMS works really well in this case. Uh, And then a couple of little traps, make sure that your retries are turned on. And if you didn't do any research on data or anything like that, just use whatever your billing systems like smart or tactical retries are. So Stripe, they have some retries that are smart retries, they call them. If you didn't do your research on when you should retry a credit card, just use the smart ones. We do some extra things with Retain where we'll actually like, depending on your type of product and the price point. We'll know like so for consumer product we know to retry the card on the, f- the 30th or the first and the 15th of the month payday because we know that has a much higher acceptance rate when you retry a card then and then if you can make it so your user doesn't have to log in to update their credit card so we do these like one click all of a sudden you get to a mobile optimized form with apple and google pay and that's kind of how retain you know gets really high recovery rates but basically, that's that's one of those things that can be really, really helpful. And then the final thing on credit cards, and I'll stop, there's, there's more we can go down, but like, make sure you're locking out your customers that aren't paying you. I know that sounds really condescending, but what's really interesting is basically one out of 15 to 20 companies that I talk to about credit cards, an engineer is treating credit card failures different than someone who actively cancels, which is the right move. The problem is, is they never close the loop with the people who have uh, the failed credit cards. So I had a webinar that I did on credit cards. That's how exciting I am. I did a webinar on credit cards. And there was a company, a rather large company. I told them this, and it was an $8 million ARR like fix just by like literally pressing a switch in their billing system which is pretty cool. But yeah, those are some tips on credit cards. I can get into some of the other stuff, but because I've been talking I'll uh shut up a second if you no, got No, no, keep else going, keep going. Great. Three other things, and I have all the benchmarks. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, I can send you the benchmarks of all this for your industry and in vertical. Term optimization. Those customers on quarterly or annual plans in SaaS, have about three to 400% higher LTV. In the world of consumers, typically about 800% better LTV, just because people on longer-term plans will essentially cancel less. What we do with Retain is we basically identify who's a really good candidate to upgrade. So it's normally people that are between like their second month and their 10th month for a B2B SaaS company. If someone's beyond 10 months, and it depends on the product, but they're kind of with you for life, so don't worry about it. But most of us are only asking when someone signs up, but when someone signs up, like they might not have experienced the value of your product. Two other things, reactivations, you should be contacting your customers who canceled. We've noticed that like maybe 40% of reasons people cancel have nothing to do with you. Budgets, all kinds of stuff pops up. So essentially what ends up happening is like you just have to like go back out to them, maybe provide them a little bit of an offer. And long story short, you can get probably about 20 to 30% of your customers back over a year uh, who have canceled. And then the final thing, make sure you have offboarding. It's not as important as your onboarding, but ask someone why they left and based on that reason, give them a number of different options for pausing a plan, a salvage offer, contacting support, etc. We've noticed with just even basic offboarding in SaaS world, you can lower your active cancellations by about 20%, which is enormous, right? And so when you stack all these things on top of each other, that's where you're able to kind of reduce, you know, those lost customers by about 40%. Um, Depends on the type of product, but um, those are the things that you should like really take care of. And I think there's some other things that we could go deeper on, but that's the huge stuff that you should think about.
0: That was great. I just wanted to know about churn for me.
1: Yeah, I'm a machine when it comes to churn now. I can now do it for pricing and churn. So I'm like a a multi-trick pony, which is great. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else we should talk about today? I don't think so, man. I don't have anything great. You and I had some interesting, I'm going to tease this out. We had some interesting discussions about some things we can't quite record on, but at some point we'll be able to record on them. Yeah. And then next week. I have some interesting data I'm about to publish that we can talk about on discounting. Awesome. That's you and I have debated that, that one, before too. Another. So
0: yeah, looking looking forward to right, or yeah, discussing cool. I think we're very aligned on that one, but I can't wait to see the data and then validate the things that I have in my head because I'm sure it's very validating.
1: I'm putting it out before Black Friday to just cause a lot of FUD and literally be like, hey, you should rethink the depth of your discount and <laughs> just see what happens. Anyways, so that'll be a good time. So, we talked about saying the word churn 100,000 times. We talked about strategic versus tactical churn. We talked about how to reduce tactical churn and all that jazz. All right, man. You Have a too. Good weekend. Peace. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about trade offs a podcast from ProfitWell recur, the largest fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.